So the first one, intentional design or human-centered design, is, is probably an idea that people have heard of, um, possibly, where organizational organizations deliberately plan and execute a mission that's centered on treating people well. And this includes employees, users, customers, communities, suppliers, you know, uh, the, the stakeholders at large. So the challenge here is to, well, define, to state and articulate what something more is, what, what the something that's more meaningful and enriching um, with value. And value. What, what is, how do you define the values? And by values, I think you're talking about shared values. Right, right. I'm not talking about like added value to a product. I'm talking <laughs> about the, the shared values, the shared beliefs and norms that people have when they operate in an organization. And specifically, doing so while inspiring everyone, right? Because the, those values, that mission acts as a touchstone, a place to look toward when you think you've lost your way, when you have a decision to make, you don't know how to go, which way, you know, left or right, that those mission and values can help you d- direct you to make those kinds of decisions. And this is really, really important. Um, can you dive into this a little bit more? Well, I, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but sometimes firms or, or teams or even individuals that, you know, they kind of wake up one morning and realize they've, they've lost their way. They've become disconnected from their ultimate purpose. Yeah. Um, and that can happen in a lot of different circumstances. Um, one of the more unusual examples is uh, a couple of years ago when at SurveyMonkey and what the firm went through when their widely loved CEO, Dave Goldberg, died unexpectedly in, uh, what was it, 2015 or so? Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, people might have heard of this because his death was covered in the business press, yeah. not just because he's the CEO of SurveyMonkey, but he, he's also the spouse of uh, Sheryl Sandberg. And so that it made his loss really public. But right. I don't know if people know the other bit of the story. The other bit of the story? Well, sort of what happened in the wake of the organization, um, what happened after his death, not just that, you know, that he passed unexpectedly and early. Oh, yeah, it was definitely early. Um, But I read that the new CEO that succeeded him found himself spending a lot of time helping people process their feelings uh, about the loss and then trying to figure out the right strategy going forward. And it seems to have been a a lot of work because, as you say, it was both about strategy. You know, we've done we've experienced something terrible that's a a moment to reflect on what we're doing here. But also all of those feelings that everybody felt in um, in just trying to process what happened. Yeah, And at the time to, you know, really reexamine the organization and reconnect with the purpose they had to. I know. This is going to be a big surprise. Wait for it. They did several surveys at SurveyMonkey. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but they talked to not only internal, but their customers and their users to understand the unique value that SurveyMonkey's products actually delivered, uh, not just what they said that they were delivering. And um, the word that keeps coming up with, um, that they come up came keep coming up with was curiosity, and there was a kind of a light bulb moment 
uh, clarifying that the firm, its portfolio of products, um, really served curious people. And that, in fact, curiosity was at the core of their purpose and values. Kind of cool. And was that insight or is that insight something that has been a touchstone for them going forward? Yeah, because think about it. Curiosity encourages asking questions, uh, large and small. Literally, this is why the company exists. It is. So curiosity inspires innovation, uh, diversity of ideas, opinions, uh, willingness to experiment, you know, really creativity. Um, so whenever a, an employee or executive wants to test if a decision may be the right one, you know, understand how the potential options sit compared to the focus mission to propel curiosity provides a strong indicator of which options are likely to be best for the firm. Okay. All right. I, I, I see how that works. So being mission-driven, in this instance, propelling curiosity, so whatever the mission is, then provides meaning, inspiration, and purpose for what, what we, what employees do every day. Exactly. Now, the, the next part of our, our components here was practicing gratitude. Oh, well, that seems pretty human-centric, right? Gratitude speaks to the heart, making it clearly important aspect of humanizing organizations? Eh, maybe. Um, and I know that, you know, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about gratitude, but I, I think that what would be helpful is to talk about some of the common myths about gratitude and, and possibly shed some light on them. Okay. Uh, I think we've got five myths here that we've, that, that we have run across when it comes to gratitude, particularly in the workplace, right? Because we've talked about, when we talked about gratitude before, it was an individual aspect, right, but, right. but now we're thinking about how you enact gratitude at an organizational level. Right. And I think myth number one is this idea, you get a paycheck and that's enough. And yet recognition, appreciation, gratitude, they all convey the acknowledgement that I see what you do and your contribution is valuable. And in many ways, gratitude is a reward in itself for bringing yourself above and beyond your job description and your compensation. And it's most meaningful, by the way, when it's specific and connected to the scope or an achievement and, and the level of effort that somebody has put in. That's so true, because believe it or not, we all need reminders that our work is actually meaningful. Absolutely. Uh, it's so easy to forget that. Um, also, express, expressing gratitude may eliminate the not my job syndrome, making everybody, uh, everyone's life at work a little bit better. I worked for a place where on day one, they specifically said, no one should ever say it's not my job. I mean, that's the kind of place I want to work in, right? All right, let's move to no uh, myth number <laughs> two. If you frequently convey your appreciation of someone, then it becomes meaningless, right? That's the, that's the myth. But this is really only true if your expression of gratitude seems to be like a toss away comment, right? Inauthentic. But exactly. Exactly. Um, sort of one of those, it's a drive by bit of <laughs> drive by. Thanks. Toodaloo. Thank you. <laughs> but if you express your gratitude authentically, to a specific person, then it is important to them. And it helps people understand how their contributions really make a difference. I don't think that ever gets old. Of course not. And it's, it's important. It's a good one. Um, gratitude needs to be authentic. Uh, not You don't want to have superficial gratitude. 
Okay. Good point. <laughs> so what about myth number three? All right. Myth number three is that acknowledgement from managers matters more than recognition from any others. And this is just not true. Peers, meaning your colleagues, have more eyes to catch folks doing something right or doing something good than managers do. There are more peers than managers. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) Also, with the way many firms operate that are flat or matrixed, it makes more sense that our, our peers, our colleagues would be able to pass along their appreciation to us more frequently and readily and authentically than managers would. But that doesn't let the managers off the hook. Oh, no, no, I'm not suggesting that. Um, managers can't abdicate their responsibility here. <laughs> I, they might try. All you managers out there, you can't abdicate your responsibility. I bestow upon you the responsibility to be gracious. Which brings us to myth number four. <laughs> For recognition to have some impact, it needs to have some ceremony. Do, 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 do. Well, this is not true at all. Ceremony can have impact, right? Public recognition with some sort of ritual aspect um, can be good and can help, you know, elevate the significance of the gratitude you're expressing, but it's not required. In fact, depending upon the person, they actually might not like the ceremony. Um, But what does seem to be important is timeliness. Yeah, we talked about ceremony um, a couple of episodes ago, and there was... These are definitely appreciated in certain circumstances, but not everybody requires a plaque. Um, A gratitude gratitude expressed a year late doesn't really mean much. And uh, by the way, thanks for taking the lead on that report last year that helped us land that big client. Uh, Here's a statue. Uh, Okay, not so much. Right. So having a tight connection between expressing the gratitude and when the actual action happened that you're expressing appreciation for. That's good. An authentic level of gratitude. Definitely. So that means I have myth number five now to dispel, which is to have the greatest impact, gratitude is best expressed one-on-one. And in the end, that's not true either. We live and work in community. So when it seems natural, give that compliment when others are around. You know, humans seek connection and there's no better way to build interconnectedness than to celebrate one another's accomplishments. Yeah, there doesn't need to be ceremony, but sometimes expressing gratitude in front of others not only shows the person's adding value to the organization, but it also uh, shows that the organization values that contribution. It builds the culture of contribution. I... I really like that idea, a culture of contribution. That's a, can we trademark that somehow? Ooh, circle. That kind of actually is a good bridge to the final set of actions that leaders can do to recenter their organizations um, on people. And that is to put dignity first. Ooh, put dignity first. Trademark, Nydia. <laughs> I like that. Well, That title might be a little overly dramatic, but I think it conveys the right idea. Leaders need to put the dignity of the whole person first in order to stay true to values and mission. So what does this mean, putting dignity first? Well, the way I like to think about it is companies and leadership that treat people like people as opposed to numbers demonstrate what any employee or customer or business partner would want that people want to be seen as the whole individual and not, you know, a thing or or something that's disposable. 
Okay, so this has a couple of important implications. I mean, first, it means that managers are better off leading for connection, not just execution. Whoa, whoa, there's another one. Leading for connection, not Oh my gosh, execution. We, we need to write a book. <laughs> Copyright. Well, like, okay, but let's break that down, right? Because usually a manager is perceived as only being successful if she executes well. I mean, isn't getting a lot done the very mechanism that speeds you up the corporate ladder? Well, that can be true early in your career, but the higher up you go, the more that empathy and collaboration are a more valuable currency. Uh, the best leaders center relationships and community building in their work. Yeah, I can see how this is really crucial to honoring the dignity of the whole person, um, that, that idea of building relationships. But I think there's a little bit more there. Is this a rhetorical question? Well, okay. I, I was thinking that to consider the whole person, managers need to concern themselves with minds and hearts. Yes, what we were just talking about, but also bodies. Okay, you just lost me. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, maybe my phrasing didn't work out too well there, but I mean that managers' concern for the whole person suggests that managers are concerned with employees' health and well being overall really treating people holistically, meaning overall well-being. And that has a direct correlation with their ability, meaning employees' abilities to be productive. Okay. Okay. I got it. So we've got a couple of catchphrases for everybody to, to zone in on now, uh, which we will, of course, copyright and trademark right away. Um, I think next up, we probably should give people maybe a meditation to think about how they can improve their organizational humanity. Thank you all for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode of The Mac, Mac and Willie Show.